Let's open our Bibles to the book of Ephesians. I'm, we're, I'm looking for you to respond with enthusiasm about the Bible. Very good. That's what we want to hear. So we're remembering that this letter to Ephesians is different than, the, than other portions of epistolary literature in the New Testament. That other, other epistolary literature is uh, often written to correct or to confront a, a problem, a, a heresy, a, 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 an issue. But, uh, but Ephesians doesn't appear to be written to uh, correct something. It appears to be written to celebrate something, to celebrate the goodness of God, to celebrate to, uh, what God has done for us in Christ. And the first part of the book tells us, reminds the reader of of what God has done for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And then he delineates uh, many of those blessings that we've been called and chosen and redeemed and forgiven. And then he... he, uh, he crescendos, he summarizes the, what God has done for us in Christ by saying, and in, when we believe, we were sealed with the Spirit. That in that, and that the seal of the Spirit marks us now as belonging to God and brings to bear upon our lives now all of those blessings that Paul has talked about. That the Spirit of God is working and active in our life, bringing to bear the blessings of God in the heavenlies upon our life now. We are a people stamped with heaven. We are a people stamped with eternity. We are people who, are, who, have, who have literally been sealed by and stamped with another time and another place, another realm, the, the realm of God. We are people who literally belong somewhere else. And so the rest of the text tells us that we should live like it. We should live like people who don't belong here. We have been called and therefore we should walk. Someone say walk. Peripateo means, means the whole manner of living. We should walk worthy of our calling. Walk worthy of our calling. And so, the, what, so we saw that in, in chapter 4, when he starts talking about walking worthy of our calling, that that first step in walking worthy of our calling is to walk in unity with each other. We walk in unity by being completely humble and gentle and patient with each other. And the next step that he emphasized that is that we walk in ministry to one another. To each of us, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ. And that grace is, is working in our life in such a way that we will edify and build one another up as we continue to grow in maturity and unity together. And the next step that Paul is going to emphasize today is that we, we walk in unity with we walk in ministry to one another, and we walk differently than the world. Someone say, we walk differently. All right, here we are. Chapter, oopsie doodle. Oopsie doodle doodle. Hang on a minute. Oh, yeah, we got it. Uh-oh, that's, is that it? Oh, it is. Thank the Lord. Hang on. You might think, what are you happy about? Well, everything, but also these. Um, <laughs> they're just ones. And I usually only wear them to, for the appearance of intellect. <laughs> 4.17, therefore I say and testify. 
And if you're wondering why I say it that way, then you haven't been a Pentecostal very long. Somebody, somebody help me. Uh, therefore, I say and testify in the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being dark. You know, I should stop now just in case you're, you're, the question mark comes up right away. You might think, hey, Daph, yeah, I thought this letter was written to Jews and Gentiles. Hasn't he spent a lot of time talking about who has made, made them one? They were distant, and now they're together, and hallelujah, one, one God, one body. We come together, one spirit. Yes. The word, first of all, the word Gentile is the, is the Greek word E-T-H-N-O-S, ethnos, and it means, it means nations. So when, you read, so when Jesus says, go ye into all the world all the, and preach the gospel to every nation, all nations, ethnos, uh, he actually told them, preach the gospel to the Gentiles. <laughs> they didn't for a while, but still, he told them to. Uh, but ethnos, Gentile, same word. But uh, so on one hand, we could say, oh, we should just understand he's talking about the rest of the world. Don't, we should not live like the world. Wow, okay, one, that, was that Denise or was that Janelle? Okay, thank you. I'm looking for somebody to help me. We should not live like the world. All right, it just tells me how much work I have to do depending on how quiet you are, okay? I'll try it one more time. We should not live like the world. All right, we're getting better. But, but uh, so that, while that's true, we also need to understand that in, in terms of, uh, of, of, of Paul's frame of mind, that for him, uh, he, st- he referred to anybody that was not in Christ as still a Gentile. And that to come into Christ means that you have come into God's Israel, God's community of faith, right? So that's why he's using that kind of language. All right, here we go. Uh, don't walk in the, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their mind, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Blech. That's in the original. Blech. But you did not learn Christ this way. Indeed, you heard him, if indeed you heard him and were taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus, to lay aside in reference to your former conduct the old man, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside all falsehoods, speak the truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with those who has, with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such as a, as a word as is good for building up what is needed so that it will give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, graciously forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has graciously forgiven you. I'm so glad. Amen does indeed go there. Paul has brought us, after talking about walking worthy of our calling, he now brings us to what? I grew up hearing as the corner of walk and don't walk. I think it was after some sort of a joke that someone told. 
uh, someone's on the phone, they're out at a pave there. Where are you? And they're looking for directions. They say, well, where are you? And the person looks up and says, I don't know. I'm at the corner of walk and don't walk. And as silly of a joke as it is, that's where Paul has brought us today. We're at this corner of walk and don't walk. And when it comes to our walk, there is a right way and a wrong way. And, a, and the two of them are not the same in any way. In Christ, we walk differently than the world. We walk this way and not that way. Someone say this way, not that way. You're going to need to get that, rehearsing that a little bit. This way, not that way. Say it again. So again, there's that last line on the clicker there. In Christ, we walk differently than the world. How does that look? What does that mean? This is what Paul says, verse 17. Don't walk that way. Don't walk that way. That's the next clicker on the old slideroo there. Don't walk that way. Therefore, I say, Paul says, and testify in the Lord. We need to, we need to hear just how um, emphatic Paul is. When he says, and I testify in the Lord, he is essentially taking an oath to, to reaffirm or to underscore just how serious he is about what he's about to say. And not only does he say, I, I testify, but then he uses this phrase, no longer. No longer. Someone say no. no. Now, in English, when we say no, uh, we, only, we only have one word for no, right? And uh, how intense or how much we mean it uh, only depends on how loudly we say it, Right? But in Greek, there's all kinds of words for, uh, to decide whether things are intense or not intense or whatever else. And so in the Greek, what we need to understand is that Paul has used the strongest language possible to say stop. But he doesn't just, and it's important that, he, that, he's, that we hear Paul say uh, no longer. Someone say no longer. Meaning that for Paul's audience, it was apparently still possible to be going that way. And some of them may have been walking that way. But Paul is saying that because of what God has done for us, it is possible we can and therefore we should no longer walk that way. Why? He says because that way is futile. It's futile. It's vain. It's empty. And it, he, this word means it's depraved. There's an emptiness to it. When he's talking about walking that way, he explains why the world walks that way. Verse 18 says, They walk that way because they are darkened in their mind. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Now, when Paul says the hardness of their heart, he uses the word petrified. And, in, and in, in, the, in the text, here's what this is, is implying. It's two things. Number one, the petrification. He, he, he is implying that their hearts have been hardened more than anything else. He's talking about the hardest kind of hardening, fully petrified. But what do we know about the process of petrification? It, does it happen instantly? No, and that's the point. Their hearts have been petrified. Their hearts have been thoroughly hardened, and that has happened over time. And this, friends, is the real terror in sin. Few people set out to be a hardened sinner. Few. 
But when we allow it, we entertain it, we justify it, we excuse it, and then repeat it, the more often we do that, the harder our hearts become. And Paul looked out upon a world and saw people with petrified hearts, and then he said they have become callous, verse 19. They've given themselves over to sensuality and to the practice of impurity with greediness. So he looks out at this world, and he sees human hearts so turned to stone that they are unaware of their hardening. He saw human beings so dominated by sin that they lost all sense of shame. He looked out and saw men and women living at the mercy of their own desire without any concern for the cost it would have on others. He looked out and saw this in the first century. This is the 21st century. Human nature, human need has not changed in these 2,000 years. The only thing that has changed is our gadgets. But we are still a people who desperately need to be saved. Paul says, don't walk that way. Walk this way. Verse 20. Someone say, walk this way. If you hear a little guitar riff, that's a bonus. Walk this way. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you heard him and were taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus. Paul says that this inner condition and outward expression that characterizes the world is, is not only futile, but it's based, in, it's, it's based in a falsehood, but that when we learn Christ, we learn what is true. And when he says these words, learn, heard, taught, all of those are phrases that imply or involve becoming a disciple of Jesus. It's talking about being a disciple. When we believe the gospel and are sealed with the Holy Spirit, we become followers of Jesus, and we no longer walk that way. We walk pretty good, pretty good. Now, don't, don't feel bad that, that you guys are the that way folk, but just my hands here. When we follow Christ, we no longer walk. We walk. It might be better if I pointed that way, and then you'll all be happy. We no longer walk. We walk. Very good. That's even better. All right? And what does that look like when we walk this way? How does that happen? What's, the, what's, what's going on here? Well, what we need to recognize is that when we come to Christ, something has happened to us. We haven't earned something. We haven't achieved something. We haven't, we haven't, we haven't, we haven't accomplished something on our own. But something has happened to you. You believed and you were sealed with the Spirit. That means something has happened to you. You have gone from death to life. You have been transferred from the, domi the dominating territory of the enemy into the kingdom of God. Something has happened to you and something will still happen to you. You have been sealed for a time and a place for redemption. There will come a day when this world will become that world and this life will become the next and you are sealed, preserved, marked for that day as well. Something has happened and will happen to you, and so therefore, you live like that. 
What's the catalyst? How does this happen? We do that. We walk this way by verse 22. We lay aside in reference to our former conduct, the old man, which is being corrupted in accordance with lust and deceit, and are renewed in the spirit of our mind. And we put on the new man, which is created in the likeness of God with righteousness and holiness. So here's the deal. When we, when we come to Christ, we put off the old. Someone say, put off. We put off the old, and our minds are then renewed by the Holy Spirit through his direct influence, through his leadership. The content and process of our thought life is changed. It needs to change. The way that we think has to change. What we think about has to change. Our frame of reference has to change. And this is all by the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. So we put things off, throw old things away, we are renewed by the Spirit, and then we put new things on. This is the key. This is the catalyst for walking this way and not that way. Putting off the old, being renewed, putting on the new. We lay down. We cast totally away old behaviors and old attitudes and we learn truth, and then we put on behaviors that reflect and agree with that truth. Wow. How many like that? How many say, well, that's great. What, I wonder what Paul means by that. I wonder if he could give us some examples. He's happy to oblige. Well, he does. He give us, here are the examples, just some examples, not a complete list, but here's some examples. What does it look like? To, what should I be putting off? What should I be putting on? Well, I'm glad you asked. This, not that. Someone say that out loud with me. This, not that. Here we have verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you. We put off all lying, all false, false fronts. We put off, we lay aside any kind of partnership with things that are untrue. Untrue speech, untrue actions, any sort, any attempt to deceive or to mislead others, gone. Gone. And in, and in its place is a commitment to truth, to speaking and living truthfully. Put off, put on. Well, next he says this. Be angry, yet do not sin. Oh, boy, this is the one everybody gets excited about because finally they, and then they get excited. They say, look, yeah, see, Mrs. Dad pumped like, woo, Paul says I can be angry. Hiya, get ready. I got Bible for it. Woo, yeah. Well, he sort of does kind of a bait and switch on us here. He's like, be angry. Woo, sin not. Oh. What Paul does here is effectively prohibit any anger that involves, evokes, or results in sin. So he's taking the fun out of it. <laughs> the only reason why I said that is because she was thinking it. The book of James tells us that man's anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. We cannot get to righteous 
with man's anger. So what's the deal? Why does he say be angry and don't sin? Is he trying to tease us or trick us or what's he saying here? Here's the deal. Anger is a gift from God. Anger is a gift from God. Why? What's anger for? Anger is for justice. Anger is for injustice. So here's what anger is for. And I'm glad Mark is here. This is great. Because this, this, this is far more intimidating. <laughs> uh, so here's what anger is for. I foolishly am about to come at Janelle. Foolishly. Right? Mark's like, yeah, that's a dumb idea. Okay? Okay? I'm about to come at her. What are you going to feel first? Anger. Why? Because God put that in you to prepare you emotionally, physically, chemically to prevent injustice. That's what it's for. Anger is to deal with injustice in the way that it needs to be done. But here's the problemo. Sin has messed with everything. And instead of my anger being a tool to come to the aid of those around me, sin has shrunk my justice bubble to the size of me. And now I'm angry at any injustice toward me. Now I am angry if you don't drive correctly. Now anger, it's <laughs> so funny to watch spouses pat one another, dear, 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 he's talking to you, Just pray through, <laughs> pray through, as long as I'm at it, hang on a minute, dear, he's, uh, anyway, <laughs> anger becomes the size of me. Whatever frustrates, irritates, prevents me from my objective, my preferences, my desires, anger. And that always will result in sin. Then he says, be angry, don't sin. And, and then he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't, don't think that means, cool, I got 12 hours of mad left. <laughs> Yee-haw! Mom, mama's got seven more hours of mad. <laughs> what he means, what he's saying is, don't camp on your anger. Don't nurture it. Don't, don't nurse it. Really, specifically, verse 27, do not give the devil an opportunity. He's not changing subjects here. He's saying that, he's, that, that opportunity is the word tapas. It means a place to live, a place to dwell. Yeah, some of you know, you've read your Bible, some might say even a foothold. When we harbor anger, we are creating a nice, safe, secure place for the devil to have influence in our life. So be angry. Don't sin. Put things on. Put, you put some things off, put some things on. Then he says this, verse 28. He who steals must steal no longer, but instead performing with his hands what is good, have something to share. This is pretty simple. This is pretty straightforward. Although all of these we could stop and explore. Here Paul is saying, stop stealing. Start working 
so you can start giving. Verse 29, let no, that the Greek, that's the Greek word for zilch, nada. Let no unwholesome, that's corrupt, uh, rotten. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for building up what is needed, so it will give grace to those who hear. Don't let any corrupting words come out of your mouth, but instead speak what is good, speak beneficial words that carry grace to the hearer. What is grace? That's the influence of the Spirit. Your words should carry the influence of the Spirit. And then he says this, verse 30, he says to walk to please the Spirit. Now, if you look at verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So he's reminding them of chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Don't grieve that same Spirit with whom, by whom you were sealed. Now, it's on one hand, people might read this at verse 30 and think, oh, is this like number five on a list of things that he's describing about putting on and taking off? Well, if you read it that way, it doesn't hurt anything. You'll be fine. But uh, if, if we do, then it sounds like we haven't got to grieving the Holy Spirit until now, which means that somehow lying, stealing, or speaking filth doesn't grieve the Spirit. So, he, this, what, so Paul really, he's not introducing a new idea. This is what Paul does when he wants to summarize, when he wants to capture something. He presents like his big argument. He does this, and whenever he does this, he, he, he consistently wants to emphasize the presence of the Holy Spirit. He does this in the book of 1 Corinthians when he's talking about conflict in their, in, their, in their midst or impurity in their midst. In both times, he concludes both of those arguments with, don't you know you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And here he is again doing just that. He's saying he put off the old, put on the new, and then, listen, live to honor the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve him. Now, and usually we read that, and, and, and folks rightly say, oh, well, that means grieve means to cause sorrow. Oh, wow. Paul is saying don't cause sorrow to the Holy Spirit. True. Everybody say True. True enough, that's true, it's not false, but Paul is, is referencing, his language is a direct reference from Isaiah 63. So this is, listen, we just need to know that this, this, this admonishment is more than, hey now, don't hurt his feelings. It's more than that. Isaiah 63 actually says this in verse 9, In his love and in his mercy he redeemed them. Doesn't that sound like? The call of God, doesn't that sound like the first part of Ephesians, right? Oh, wow, it's God's love, God's mercy, he redeemed us. And he lifted them and he carried them all the ancient days. Wow, this is what God has done for them. Verse 10 says this, but they rebelled, uh-oh, and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, somebody said therefore, he turned himself to become their enemy and he fought against them so yes our actions when we do not live like people who have been sealed by the spirit it can and does cause sorrow to the spirit 
But we need to be aware that the Bible teaches us that divine sorrow is only the first step toward eventually divine wrath. At the very minimum, what we need to understand Paul's saying here is live in such a way, not only, when, we, when he says don't grieve the Spirit, he's warning us that if, we're not, if we aren't reverent and grateful and honoring to the Spirit, we will risk experiencing God's displeasure in our life. So we want to get rid of anything that grieves Him. Anybody agree? We want to get rid of anything. Because we love Him, because He loves us, yes, we want to get rid of Someone say, get rid. Say, all of it. And this is what Paul does. Now he's going to come back and say, therefore, here's his, he's going to repeat the argument, but he's going to do it with a summary, right? Verse 31, let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting. Now, when he says shouting, that doesn't mean you can't cheer for your whatever team. Shouting has to, has, it's, it's, it's like under the word rioting. It's that un restrained release of emotion and anger and 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 all kinds of junk just it's, you you don't need me to illustrate that kind of that kind of grotesque yelling at one another bitterness anger wrath shouting slander which is blasphemy be put away from you along with all malice someone say all malice Malice is wickedness, it's evil intent. It's every, basically, all of this are the motivations in the seedbed of all the stuff that he said before. We get rid of all of that. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all of this stuff that grieves the spirit. And I'll say this, in, not, coincid, not just incidentally, but truthfully, all this stuff that grieves the spirit is stuff that harms other people. And not only does it grieve the spirit and harm other people, it actually hurts you. These things in your life, your body, God did not design your body to harbor or hold on to these things. These things, bitterness and malice and anger and wrath and slander that comes out of your mouth, that stuff will poison your body. It'll make you sick. It'll make you hurt. Get rid of it all. And instead, somebody said instead. Instead, what should we do? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, graciously forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has graciously forgiven you. This translation that I'm using says graciously forgive. And I like that because it's qualifying the forgiving to, as, a, as an act of grace, as a gratuity. Forgive as a gratuity. A gratuity isn't isn't something that someone earns or that they owe. It's a it's a free gift. It's gratis, no question nada, right? Uh, uh, it's it's a gratuity. Forgive gratuitously. Now I know I know I know we, that you said wait when Peter came to Jesus he said what if my brother sins against me and he asked me to come and and how many times should I forgive somebody who and Jesus says you know a whole bunch right? But this this particular passage tells us that when it comes to forgiveness that um, we don't necessarily need to wait for them to ask. This is a command to do so intentionally, proactively, generously, gratuitously forgive. 
just as God did for you. You say, well, wait a minute. No, I remember. I confess my sin. He's faithful and just for you. Oh, yes. He's, yeah, we do that. But you know what? How many, how many think that God is probably uh, aware of more sin than you are? You think there's any missteps and sins or offenses against God that we might not even be paying attention to or, or for, we might even forget about? And you think God is still forgiving us? He absolutely is. What he's saying is this. Is that, again, to honor the Spirit of God, be proactive and intentional about just forgiving someone. Forgive them on purpose. Forgive them and forget about it. Please do not forgive them and then tell them about it. I just just need to let you know that I had to forgive you. So you wanted to forgive and also spit. You know, and you, and because here's the thing, just in case we forget, let's remember, when you say, oh, but Jesus said I'm supposed to lay my gift down at the altar and tell you about it. No, listen. No, that's if, if you know that you have hurt someone else and there's a hurt sitting on them that you caused, you lay your gift down, you go and make it right. But if your feelings are hurt or you're just mad, you can just forgive. You can just forgive, and you don't need to be um, um, <laughs> you don't need to be passive aggressive about it. You don't need to be patronizing or condescending or let them know. It was just not too long ago I had someone come up to me after after a service and just say they just needed to let me know that they they were finally able to forgive me. Well, yeah, and I had no, I had no idea there was something that needed to be forgiven. Now I guess I'm glad they did, but um, if I had done something, well, I don't know. All I'm saying is graciously, generously forgive without spitting in their soup on the way. This is how we honor the Spirit. What do we need to hear today? Simply this, friends. When it comes to our walk, there is a right way and there's a wrong way, and they are not the same in any way. We, you and I must live differently than the world. And I believe that really the anchor of this let's go to that last slide it just says walk it would be instead of trying to keep track of what I'm putting on and what I'm taking off the principle here is this you are people who have been stamped by the Holy Spirit And you and I should live because of and in honor of what has happened to us and what will happen to us. That our lives should be lived extraordinarily and specifically different than the world because God has given us His Spirit. This is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. 
I give you my heart. Stand and sing that. by your empowering with a grateful, reverent, confident, increasing awareness of your spirit in our lives. And let us walk accordingly. This we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody said amen. Amen. Friends, it's been a pleasure to have you here today. Merry Christmas. We sure hope we'll see you on Christmas Eve. We love you big. Where you go, we go. God bless you. And I thank you.